Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers, providing you with practical advice to enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. The advice given in this podcast is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia's Stroke Foundation, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. The 17th to the 23rd of June 2019 is World Continence Week, and the theme this year is Laugh Without Leaking, using humour to break down the stigma around bladder and bowel problems. So in the spirit of that, I apologise in advance for the many bad puns you will hear while you're streaming this episode. Because for many stroke survivors, incontinence is not just a wee issue. In fact, it can sometimes seem like the number one and the number two problem, and it can dampen your prospects for a normal life. But do you just have to go with the flow and get used to it, or can you relieve yourself of this pressure? Joining us in our recording cubicle today will be Sue Blinman from the Continence Foundation of Australia's Helpline and Simone Russell from the Stroke Foundation Stroke Line. I'm sure they're both busting to share their knowledge. But first we have on the line Jenny Ferrier, a stroke survivor from Launceston in Tasmania. Jenny is an advocate for stroke, a valued member of the Enable Me community and a previous guest on this podcast. You might have heard her in our episode on emotional and personality changes after stroke. Jenny, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Now, like I said, we've had you on here before, but for those who haven't listened to the previous podcast, could you just quickly tell us your stroke story? Well, six years ago, I had a massive stroke, was totally paralysed down my left side and spent three months in hospital and made a miraculous recovery. But during that three months in hospital, that was where my journey with incontinence began, simply because I could not get out of bed. Okay, so what kind of issues did you have there? Uh, just with urinary um, um, problems, um, because I couldn't get out of bed um, in time to go to the toilet, that really was the beginning of it. So it was initially I had a, a um, when I first went in, had a, um, a, a tube put in, um, and then I developed an infection. So that was all cleared up. So. From then on, it was bedpans, which I hated. And the, the nurses got a bit fed up with bringing them to me with leaky bladders, I think, as well. Gradually, as I strengthened, they managed to get me out of bed and put me onto a, what to me was like a transporter, and pushed me to the toilet. So from then on, I had hoped that things were going to change. So um, that's really where it all started for me, Chris. Right. And how did it feel um, to be suddenly, I guess, be dependent on people like that and to have those issues? Oh, it was horrible because I hadn't had problems in with you and when I went into hospital. And um, with the stroke as it was, I really felt I left control of my life. And it even extended down to losing control of the bladder. And that was horrible. I hated that. Now, but I understand that you did get some, some help. Uh, who was able to help you with the incontinence? Well, I went to, first off, I went to my GP and talked to him. 
and he ordered a um, ultrasound. And that with that ultrasound, I had to do a test of liquid in and, and fluid out, just to be sure of urine out, to make sure that the bladder was working properly, which it was doing. It was emptying properly. So that meant it was just all for me, all pure muscle damage, really, from the stroke. Did that also help you to really understand what was happening, having the ultrasound? Oh, yes. Yes, it did. I, it did help me. And then I, from then my GP suggested I see an incontinence nurse, and she was tremendous. She gave me hope and um, enormous help and worked out a management plan for me, which really, really, really helped. Number one was... Um, cut right back on caffeine. She explained that, that the caffeine irritates the bladder. Now, for me, tea seems to be worse than coffee. So I've cut that back to after half past three in the afternoon, I don't have caffeine. And if I have caffeine for my evening meal, oh, goodness me, I'm up three or four times during the night. Whereas with the cutback on the caffeine, I'm only up once. Did you have any exercises to do as well? Yes, yeah, she checked out whether I could do the um, the pelvic floor exercise. I can't get on the floor, of course, but you can do it sitting in the chair or lying on the bed or sitting on the bed. I'm, I must admit I'm not always that good remembering them every day, but I, I am aware of them. With the result that managing the problem is much, much easier for me now. She also, the nurse, talked to me about medications available and which you really have to talk to your GP about for those. They're not over-the-counter stuff. And... Um, I do use them when I go out for the day or anywhere because it usually gives me about, I only take a very small amount, but it gives me about three hours of not having to think about finding a disabled toilet that I need. So that makes going out socially so much more, so much easier. Fantastic. I mean, it is six years down the track now. How, it, how does it feel now? Is it a lot it happier with it? It has improved, yes, because I don't think it personally will ever go away, but it has improved. And my um, neurologist told me that with time after the stroke, it would improve. And at the the time, I thought, oh, that's not going to be possible, but it has improved. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. Great. Uh, So Mm -hmm. what what other advice then would you give people who are dealing with incontinence after a stroke? Seek some help. Number one, don't try and just manage it on your own. Seek some help and understand that you're you're not to blame for this. You haven't done anything bad. It's just all stroke stuff. And if you talk to your GP, then he can, he can explain all that. But I would say definitely go to see an incontinence nurse because they've also got some um, written information that you can take away with you if you go for a face-to-face visit. Or they know those, those nurses do visit at home if it's impossible to get out. The other main thing, I think, is to be able to talk to someone because it is a delicate subject. And until you, Chris, asked me to do this podcast, I myself hadn't spoken to a lot of people. I talked to my husband, Neil Gaz, of course, and my GP 
and the nurse that I saw, and my physio, because he's also helped me with some extra exercises. Well, we're very grateful that you um, you agreed to speak to us today. And, um, yeah, thank you very much for, for talking to us. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you, Chris, and I'll continue to listen to the rest of the podcast. That was stroke survivor Jenny Ferrier. In your stroke recovery, the answers you need are not always there when you need them. But you can always go online to the Enable Me website and ask the health professionals at Strokeline. You might notice some changes and not be sure if you should get them checked out. You can ask on Enable Me. Perhaps you feel your progress has plateaued and you need some help setting new goals to keep going forward. You can ask on Enable Me. We're not here to replace your doctor, but we will give you the latest evidence-based information to help you live well after stroke. And you can also hear from other people in Australia's stroke community who might have similar experiences. You can ask a question on the Enable Me website. That's enableme.org.au by clicking on the Ask a Health Professional link on the homepage or call Strokeline on 1-800-787-653. And now joining us in the studio, we have Sue Blindman. Sue is a continence nurse herself, and she is the manager of the Nurse Advisor Helpline at the Continence Foundation of Australia. Sue, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure and privilege to be here. Thank you. And also again with us is Simone Russell, an occupational therapist who can be heard on the Stroke Foundation Stroke Line, as well as frequently on this very podcast. Simone, good to have you here again. No, thanks, Chris. Always, always a joy and a pleasure. Now, Sue, I guess the first question we have to ask is, what causes incontinence after a stroke? Um, a couple of things, um, because stroke is a neurological condition, as, as you know. Um, the nerve pathways to and from the brain can be um, uh, affected, so therefore um, it can affect the um, the signals uh, either to um, empty the bladder or the signals to um, uh, to try and inhibit the bladder. Um, the other issue, as um, as uh, is has been spoken about, is um, restriction in mobility. That's a big, big one uh, post stroke, um, and um, so that's yeah, that's probably the two main main causes. Okay, so there are different kinds of incontinence. Then it's not just one thing. Absolutely. There's different types of incontinence. There's, um, and that's where you need to have your incontinence looked at, no matter uh, if you've had a stroke or not. Um, with these, uh, with incontinence, there is a reason behind it. Um, it's not just because we're old or we've, you know, we've had a fall or we've done this and we've done that. Um, the uh, the types of incontinence um, and and particularly in in stroke survivors um, is overactive bladder. It can cause the bladder to become a little bit irritable, and therefore um, it's it's hard to suppress the urges um, and get to the toilet on time. Okay, is that what um, when people talk about having a weak bladder? Is that the same kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. There's there's. There's no such thing as really a weak bladder. It's okay. more weak pelvic floor muscles. Right, um, okay. The, the, more than the bladder. The bladder is a muscle, like your arms and your legs. It is a muscle that um, that uh, 
contracts and um, expands like and, and works like a, a normal muscle. It works on uh, slow twitch fibres and fast twitch fibres. So we need to work both of those different um, muscle fibres um, and we, we do that with the pelvic floor muscles, which are our hold-on muscles. Okay. Well, look, I'm sure we'll get on to that a bit more. But first of all, I want to bring Simone in. Um, Simone, now, so you talk to people on the on the stroke line. Um, now, I'm sure this is not necessarily a topic that people want to talk about. Um, do we have an idea how common incontinence is after a stroke? Yeah, we do get some inquiries on, on the helpline. I would say that they often come in addition to some other um, perhaps challenges or questions that they might bring on the phone. But we do know from our rehabilitation audit data that uh, it's around 41% um, at our last audit that um, reported there was a, an issue with incontinence um, during their rehabilitation stay. And, and there's other studies that have suggested around 50%. So I think somewhere between 40 and 50% seems to be realistic. But um, yeah, it, that doesn't really specify whether someone's um, uh, experiencing incontinence prior to their stroke, but it certainly gives us a good uh, picture of, of how big an issue it can be for stroke survivors, regardless of when the onset is. Um, but yeah, it can be a significant challenge for people. And I think as Jenny's mentioned, it can be something that's extremely difficult for people to raise. It can be quite distressing for people and a lot of people may um, keep it to themselves. They might feel vulnerable or, or perhaps perhaps embarrassed or even ashamed of, of the problem. So it is something we do need to make people more aware of and encourage people to seek further support because as we've already heard and I'm sure we'll hear some more from Sue, there's a, um, a lot that can be done to manage it. So Yeah. Now, it's interesting that it is so high in uh, I guess people when they're having their hospital stay um, and it sounds like it does drop off a bit after um, people leave hospital. Um, Sue, is that something that it does get better itself over time? It can. Um, it, it definitely does um, because people's mobility improves with therapy, with treatment, um, if, it, if they've got what we call a functional component to their incontinence. Um, the other thing is um, people may have had a weakened pelvic floor prior to having the stroke and then it's brought to their attention that, you know, their pelvic floor muscles aren't as good as what they could be and they do embark on a pelvic floor rehabilitation program at the same time. Um, pelvic floor muscles are a very simple um, thing to do uh, once you know which muscles you're, you're working. <laughs> um, okay. that, that, that's the trick to it, which, which muscles you have to work. Um, so, so once you know, you're doing the, the correct, um, using the correct muscles, then people can go along and do their own um, program and you know, anywhere up to three times a day is the ideal um, while you're trying to retrain um, the pelvic floor muscles and retrain the bladder and bowel. Okay. Is it possible for you to, I guess, tell us a bit more about what those exercises are? I know we're on the radio, so it's a bit... I know it is a bit hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so um, what we're, we're, the muscles we're looking at, um, we, I'll start with a man because it, it's a little bit more visual with a man, okay? Um, with a man... Um, if you're you you're using the correct muscles, the pelvic floor muscles, then you will get a scrotal lift and you'll get some penile movement. Okay, it's when you hold back. Um, if, if you've got a hold back wind, I always say like you know the, the queen's coming in the room, you'll hold you'll, you'll hold back your wind. Okay, um, and if you can't do that, um, if you do let one rip, um, then you're incontinent. 
Okay. So even if you're incontinent with wind, it's classed as incontinence. Okay. Okay. So it's the same muscles involved, really? Absolutely. Bladder and bowel are the same muscles. They do form part of our, um, our um, what we call sphincters or bladder taps and um, anal sphincter or the, the, the bowel tap. Yes, so um, with the with the ladies, um, what we're doing is is holding up, and um, it's, it's very hard to do it with the girls. Um, it's it's sort of like when you're holding back wind once again, and you've got to. Um, uh, you've got a. Uh, you don't use your, your leg muscles or your your buttock muscles. Um, you use your lower abdominal muscles, but that that's it. Um, so it's not you know crossing your legs and doing everything like that. It's more internal muscles. That's why it's a little bit. Um, it, it is good to have um, advice on how to do the exercises properly because it's been shown in previous studies that around about 30% of people will do them incorrectly and will actually um, can make things worse by doing them incorrectly and that's pushing down instead of pulling up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they, But they have been shown to work when they're done correctly? Absolutely. Yes. Fantastic. Yes, they do work very, very well. And, and they're our hold-on muscles. Okay. Yeah. Um, what other things uh, are there, I guess, for incontinence? Like Jenny mentioned medications. Mm-hmm. Uh, is mm-hmm. that like one of the things that can be considered? Absolutely, yes. Um, it's a good idea. You know, you need to see your GP. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and good on Jenny for seeing her GP first. I think that 100%, you know, very, very... I hear that all the time, you know, on the phones. And, and oh, so who have you told about this problem? Um, no one. But your GP? Oh, no, couldn't possibly tell them. That would be, oh, no, no. But, you know, you've got to think about it. It's one in four people. So we're looking at nearly six million people in Australia that have an incontinence problem. Okay. So that's a lot of people within our society. Yeah. Mm. And how about changes to uh, food and drink? Uh, is that sort of something else that would be recommended? Absolutely. A healthy, healthy, uh, normal healthy diet, um, fluid intake. A lot of people think, oh, if I don't drink, I won't have to go to the toilet. Well, no, that's incorrect because if you're not drinking enough, the bladder will become irritated with uh, very concentrated urine. So it'll go more often. So it's sort of counter counteracts that theory if I don't drink I won't have to go Um, you still have to go Um, so you're better off I I always say to people look let's get your drinks right sorted first yes definitely as Jenny said caffeine was has been her her problem Um, you know some people caffeine's not an issue and and if it's not an issue well I say have tea coffee if if it's not an issue for you Um, we do tend to also say um, non-fizzy drinks uh, mainly the caffeinated coca-cola those sort of drinks um, because they have a high caffeine content Mm -hmm. and also these days um, sports drinks actually have a high caffeine content too so people think i'll just go and have a have a sports drink and um, but that's got a lot of caffeine in it as well if you're a family member or friend of someone that has had a stroke you know that it's just the start of a long journey to reclaim their life As one of Australia's biggest killers and the leading cause of adult disability, we still have a long way to go until we can say we have beaten it. At the Stroke Foundation, we draw our inspiration from the determination and persistence of stroke survivors. And that's why we work every day to prevent, treat and beat stroke. 
There are many ways you can join us to fight stroke, including volunteering your time, telling your story for us to share with the media, speaking up and approaching your local Member of Parliament with our advocacy team, getting your workplace or community group behind an event like National Stroke Week or Stride for Stroke, running a fundraiser, donating or leaving a lasting gift in your will, or just by sharing the fast message with the people around you. So all Australians will know how to recognise a stroke and act fast. Join the Fight Stroke team. Find out more at strokefoundation.org.au. Now, are there other things that might need to be done if, uh, as we discussed, someone has problems with uh, movement or mobility? Is this, uh, I think that's what you call functional incontinence. Is that, yes. is that correct? Yep. Yep. Are there other kind of measures that might be need to be put in place around the way they arrange things in Abs- their house? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's, um, it's a lot better to bring the toilet to the person. Um, and this goes. This can go across the age range um, because sometimes it's it's too far for that person. And even if they've got an ensuite, um, that ten steps to the ensuite is like ten miles to an ensuite. So you're better off to bring the toilet and, and have a have a commode chair. And um, I know there's a bit of a connotation. Uh, it's that they have a bad rap in the community commode chairs and. I Yes, absolutely. Um, They do have a bad rap. um, And and I used to, um, uh, when I was in clinic, I would purposely put people on this chair that was had a cover over it and if they didn't like the commode chair idea I'd say well actually you're sitting on one now you know so what what and I'd show them oh oh is that what it is it's just people have don't you know have in their minds commode chairs these days are very different they're very um you know they're, they're much nicer that's not the old wicker cane wicker chairs that that grandma or great grandma used to have um you know that still smelled of urine mm. okay um now simone you so did bring you up there about i guess attitude <laughs> chairs some of these things i suppose can be um equipment like that can be quite expensive i imagine if people are going to require that is there a help for people to pay for those sort of things yeah look in most cases there are schemes available for equipment and particularly in terms mm. of continence aids as well so it really depends on the individual but um there is the uh, continence aids payment scheme there's also the ndi so the National Disability Insurance Scheme or uh, Department of Veterans Affairs too, depending on the individual and what funding might be applicable. And Sue, feel free to join in if there's anything yes, extra that you want to um, add. Yes, within various states, um, there's also state-funded programs. Um, there's uh, the Medical Aid Subsidy Scheme in Queensland. Uh, there's the Enable Program in New South Wales. In Victoria, we have the Statewide Equipment Program. Um, in um, Tasmania, they have the – it's now called TAS-Equip. I found out yesterday. They've changed their name. Um, and in Western Australia, they have the Continence Management Assistance Program. Um, in South Australia, they they have it for equipment but not for continence products. Um, and in Northern Territories, they have a, a program too, which I'm sorry, it's just gone off the top of my head. I can't remember what that program was. So We won't hold that against you. <laughs> um, so when we're talking about continence aids, this is a question I guess for both of you. Or what, what kind of things, apart from commode chairs, what other kind of aids might there be? Okay, so there's, um, there's lots of different aids, whether you're a male or a female, um, whether you want disposable or washable products. Um, so disposable products are probably the things that are very readily available within our supermarkets, within our pharmacies. They are costly. 
and I do advise people to um, get the assistance of a continence nurse or, or to phone the National Continence Helpline um, for advice on which products would be best for, for the person. Um, we, we do get a lot of people ringing up, oh, just, you know, come out of hospital, so mum's come out of hospital, I need to know what sort of pad to get because I don't on the supermarket shelf I'm just... I don't know which one. Um, and, and it does depend on the person. Um, it depends on their mobility, on their functional capacity. Um, particularly, you know, you might want to replicate them with their underpants, so a pull-on pad might be best. It might be that um, a, a one that sticks on the underwear is, is a better option. For men, you can use anything from a... Um, a small stick-on pad that goes into their underwear through to a urinary sheath that goes over the penis and attaches to to drainage bags. The other uh, products that are available are washable products. So um, washable that actually wick the the urine away. Um, They are quite cost-effective. They do work, um, but usually for mild to moderate incontinence. Mm. Okay. And there's also washable bedding products too. There's lots and lots on the market. The best thing that I ever found um, was a, a waterproof doona and a waterproof pillows. I, oh, it's the best thing. I, my son, I, I had a disabled child and, and um, when my continence nurse came out to, to us to do a home visit, I just kissed her and I said, oh, my gosh, that's just so wonderful, you know, a, a waterproof doona. I didn't know they were around either. Um, so we all learn, um, and that was many, many years ago, and, and a lot of people still do. They go, what, waterproof doonas? And they do work. Yes. It's pretty surprising, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, I always say if you have a baby, get a waterproof doona for, the, for a present because, believe me, you, you'll, you'll appreciate it in the, in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have obviously talked a lot about uh, urine um, and bladders, but number, uh, number two, of course, issue is bowel. Mm. Um, is, are the issues there different? I mean, you mentioned it's the same muscles, but is there other things that need to be addressed in terms of bowel incontinence? Absolutely. I think the, the main issue with bowel would be constipation. Okay, a lot of people think that they've got in um, that they've got diarrhea or they've got a bowel tummy upset, and um, sometimes it can be, or quite often, it's related to constipation. So, if if you at all you have any bowel incontinence, go to the GP, get a get a get an assessment done. Um, even get an ultra bowel ultrasound or a bowel X-ray to see what's there, to see if there is constipation there, um, because sometimes the, there, there can be a, a constipated amount there in the bowel that just oozes and the the poo just comes around it, and but you're still constipated, and right. you can go every day, um, and then um, but you're still constipated. Mm. So that's that's a big one, um, and I think um, functional incontinence as well for the bowel as well. Um, you know, making sure that the person has the access and the time to get onto the toilet. Accessible clothing, I think, is a huge one. 
um, yeah, so I'm probably yeah. agree so with it. Anything, yeah. yeah, look, I mean, I think um, when it comes to the functional uh, incontinence, whether it's bowel or bladder, there's certainly lots of different mm. things that we can look at for stroke survivors and, and that, you know, you can try out to see what works and ranging from, you know, I think you've already touched on bedside commodes, urinal mm. bottles, um, access to the bathroom, and then clothing is a big one as well. And, and also whether actual support is needed. So, you know, support services at home might also be something that is required mm. to help if someone does have significant physical limitations after their stroke. But yeah, there's certainly lots of different things that can be looked at depending on, on the stroke survivor and their abilities to uh, toilet and their continence. So. Okay. Now, so would you mention that the, um, it is World Continence Week, which is the theme is Laugh Without Leaking. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, we have um, the wonderful Bev Killick as our ambassador. Um, for Laugh Without Leaking and um, as as you said it starts on the uh, 17th of June and then we're going to have seven days of World Continence Week. Um, so Monday will be urinary incontinence, Tuesday will be, Tuesday the 18th will be poor bowel control, Wednesday will be pregnancy, pelvic floor and prolapse. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Um, Thursday will be male incontinence and the prostate. Uh, Friday will be pelvic floor exercises and sexual fitness. And then Saturday will be ageing and incontinence, including menopause. And then Sunday will be caring for someone with incontinence. So that's the seven days of the World Continence Week. So looking forward to it. Excellent. Sounds like quite a week. Okay. Mm. Uh, Do you have any um, final advice that you would give to people uh, regarding incontinence after a stroke? Um, seek advice. Absolutely seek advice. Um, it's, it, it's not inevitable that people will be incontinent post-stroke. Um, and if there is some incontinence and there was nothing beforehand, um, then they should be fully investigated um, f- for their problem. They can also call the National Continence Helpline. We, our number is a free call number. It's one eight hundred double three double zero double six, and we're open Monday to Friday, eight a.m. to eight p.m. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. And Simone, what are your final tips? Yeah, I think uh, my tips really echo uh, Sue's as well in terms of, you know, um, I guess even if you're feeling embarrassed or, or vulnerable to speak up, and that might be at any stage of the journey. So whether you're in the acute hospital and you've just had your stroke or whether you're in rehabilitation or further down the track and at home, it doesn't really matter where you are in the in the journey, um, but to seek, seek help. Uh, you know, having that team approach is really important um, and we've already touched on, you know, speaking to the doctor, um, getting a, a continence nurse um, uh, assessment, talking to your physio, your occupational therapist, and even the dietitian can be really helpful as well. So having all of the members of, of a multidisciplinary team support you and um, your continence plan. Um, that there's strategies, you know, there's aids available, there's um, continence products available that can really help make your life easier and to help improve your quality of life after stroke. And as we've touched on as well, there's funding. So a lot of people do come to us and I'm sure soon. Mm-hmm similar to you they don't actually realize that there's funding available sometimes they think you know we're really struggling with the cost of products so I think that's a really big one for people as well to to know that there there is funding available to inquire about that. Can I just add on there with the continence aids payment scheme if if people have had a stroke and they are incontinent it is a neurological um, cause for the incontinence so therefore they are are eligible for caps for the caps program. Mm. 
Fantastic. And uh, also a plug, obviously, for Stroke Line. You know, we can also um, discuss uh, continents um, questions and, and also we tend to refer on to Sue's team as well. So we work together. But um, for those who don't know, Stroke Line 1800 787 653. And also Enable Me is another great option to start a conversation online. You can also ask our health professionals a question there, but also talk to other stroke survivors who may have tips or uh, provide you with some support um, from that peer support perspective. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, um, Sue and Simone. I hope you're feeling um, flushed with pride about your performance today. Uh, now, as Simone said, if you want to speak to a health professional, you can call Stroke Line on 1800 787 653. That's 1-800-STR-OKE. Or you can ask a question through Enable Me and get a response from one of our regular health professionals and other stroke survivors. And of course, for continence issues especially, you can call the Continence Helpline, which is one 800 or find out more about Continence Week at laughwithoutleaking.com.au. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found this podcast, as it helps lift us up in the search rankings so other people can find our podcast. Uh, thanks once again to our guests, Jenny Ferrier, Sue Blinman and Simone Russell. That's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. You can also suggest a topic or provide feedback on this podcast. Enable Me has qualified health professionals from StrokeLine who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare professionals. The music in this podcast is Signs by stroke survivor Antonio Ianella and his band The Lion Tamers. It was recorded at Antonio's studio, which you can find out more about at facebook.com slash studio4four99. That's F-O-U-R-99. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the Stroke Foundation in Australia, working to prevent, treat and beat stroke. See strokefoundation.org.au.